The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Hello, you are listening to the China Sports Insider Podcast. I'm Hyke Ballion, and I'm with the author of Sporting Superpower, the China Sports Insider, Mark Dreyer. Mark, we are at the halfway point of these Olympics. How are you handling it? Well, just been dusting off the snow. It is coming down, which is pretty unusual for here in Beijing. Great to see. It definitely makes the whole Olympics feel more, you know, wintry, yeah. <laughs> a winter Olympics-like. Obviously, you know, it's not enough to, to really, uh, you know, cover the slopes. You still need the artificial stuff and, and so on. But uh, yeah, definitely, I think, gets people in the mood. And, I, you know, Bing Duen Duen, as if fever has hit town, that's for sure. This is not on our list of things to talk about, but it should be <laughs> Bing Duen Duen. Like, what in the world? This, this has been around for two years, the mascot yeah. and all the stuff around the mascots, yeah. but but nobody's talked about it. It was like, I think people woke up and on day of the opening ceremony and were like, oh, oh, we got an Olympics. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, that, that, that mascot's pretty cute. I remember when, when I guess she first came out, um, people were sort of saying, you know, this is like a really trippy, psychedelic, yeah. you know, space. It's food. a space panda. <laughs> yeah, space panda. You yeah. know, it was like, what kind of drugs was was the artist on? Uh, was, was the narrative at the time, and now Pretty it's sure like it's Baijiu, actually. I was I was passing um, a, a mall outside uh, in Beijing yesterday, and there was a stand there. I thought it was one of those testing stations because it looked like a like a pop up um, uh, shack, right. where, where you get your you know your your turn up and go PCR test. And it was actually just a photo booth. They had these little cardboard cutouts of, uh, cutouts of the mascots. And you just, you know, had to sign to basically register. And they took a photo of you signing and then hold up Bing Duen Duen and, and the other mascot, the Paralympic one, whose name is escaping me. Yeah, because it's funny because what, what we've been used to seeing for the last couple of months, when you see lines, it's like, well, this is obviously a testing site. I mean, it's good to see. It, it sort of feels like... So far, we haven't really had Olympic fever because it's yeah. it's so removed. Yeah. The Olympics is in effectively a separate country. Mm. Yes, exactly. Cordoned exactly. off from, from Beijing and certainly right. cordoned off from the rest of China. Yeah, exactly. Today, this is what we're going to be talking about. We have been waiting to see how China's men's hockey team would perform in these Olympics. And now we know. And it's not exactly what we thought. Then we talk about one of the most ridiculous post-game press conferences that I've ever heard about. 
We'll check in on Skeleton and Mark will fill us in on how China's gamble has paid off. But first, a little bit of news on China's flag bearer. Mark. So Dinajir Ilamujiang, known to virtually no one inside or outside of China um, just about 10 days ago, uh, was, of course, one of the two final flag bearers uh, picked, uh, almost certainly because um, of her Uyghur ethnicity. Uh, the narrative is that she is from Altai in Xinjiang, which is uh, uh, what China claims is the birthplace of skiing. And she's a young, promising athlete. Now, I've spoken to the coaches, and, and yes, she is a young, promising athlete like Dozens of other people on this team, um, hundreds of other people in the country. Results so far, as we expected, she hasn't got near the podium. I think her best was a 43rd in one of the cross-country races that she was racing in. Now, I know that she was down to race in the relay, and China f- figured they might have some, some you know, potential a top eight chance in the women's 4x5-kilometer sprint relay. Uh, she was down for the first leg, and when the start list came out yesterday, I noticed that her name was not there. Now, the athlete who'd replaced her had actually uh, worse results previously in the week. So that just kind of seems strange to me. It didn't really add up. Anyway, I, I you know, I, I tweeted and said, hey, journalists, because uh, I know there's been a lot of interest. She'd previously walked through the mixed zone area after her races. So no one had had a chance to ask her anything uh, about anything at all. So that was sort of a, against the um, usual protocol. Word came back that, uh, you know, the phrase that was used was she's done physically and mentally. So, oh. you know, I, I think that tells you everything we need to know. Like she's had the eyes of the world on her and probably felt like she's been, you know, hounded into, into hiding uh, to a certain extent. Uh, and who knows what's been going on inside the team. But um, yeah, it's, it must have been a very tough situation for her. And, and, you know, maybe at some point we'll get her story, but it, it certainly looks like it's not going to be this week. This is a fascinating story and we will definitely be watching to see what happens with her. Like you, Mark, I was glued to the TV on Thursday to watch USA, China, the men's hockey team. Listen, for you especially, this has been a long time coming. What was it like for you finally watching China play? I mean, there's been so many ups and downs. Yeah, they, they, you know, the the team really, well, I mean, we've been following the team for years, actually, since since the start of the the Kunlun uh, Red Star franchise in, in 2016, 2017. But really kind of the Olympic squad and how that was coming together got on my radar sort of the last spring. And at that point, it was looking like it was going to be a a bunch of Chinese youngsters against NHL All-Stars. And thank goodness it wasn't, because what we had was the bolstered team of of, uh, majority of imports and heritage players, you know, recruited from North America against college kids in the U.S. and some former pros. And it was still 8-0 to the U.S., so imagine, you know, th- those predictions about a massacre, I don't think we're off. For anyone who does not follow hockey, 8 nothing is an absolute shellacking. If you look at the shot count, which is also an indicative of kind of the balance of play, um, it was, well, it was, I think, did they get up to 60 in the end, the US? It was high 50s. And I think China only had 16. You know, it wasn't like they were, they got unlucky with the scoreline. I was kind of disappointed, I'll be honest. This is aimed not at you, but to everybody else out there listening, because there's many, many reasons to follow you on Twitter. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but, but one of my favorite versions of you on Twitter is when you just go whole hog on on your disappointment on, on any subject. And you really <laughs> went after this team. What what was it that you saw on the on this in this display? Did I was it that bad? I th- well it wasn't bad. I, I thought I've it been, was I've was been good. pulling for them. You know, like yeah. like I know the I know a lot of the players. I feel like I know the other ones because I've been following them so closely. Like um you know I wanted China to perform. 
I didn't think that they were going to win. They were definitely overmatched on paper, but I, they just it didn't really kind of show. Some of the comments afterwards were like, we're really enjoying being near the Olympics. And I was like, ah, is that really what you want to hear? Yeah. Like, yeah. enjoy the Olympics in the 10 days before, but then like, give it everything on the ice. You know, there was there was the there was the clip from Brandon Yip, the 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 clip that kind of went up semi-viral, what it, like in the in the group. Let's I, go I have, fucking shock the world. Yeah, let's let's hear that clip right now. Did they shock the world? Unfortunately, they didn't. I think, you know, if you look at the ice time, the, the Chinese players barely got on the ice at all. Yeah, so this is this is the point that I wanted to bring up with you, because in, in that Twitter thread, you mentioned that, that the team protected their homegrown players. What, what do you mean by protecting? Well, basically, uh, if, you know, the a, a good hockey team plays everyone roughly equal ice time. So you have four lines and, and you're constantly fresh and they're giving it, you know, 45 second bursts of of everything they have and then you know that you're you can have you know another three sessions while the other lines take take your place and you're constantly subbing in and out if you are uh only playing three lines because the the fourth line is effectively sitting on the bench and not being used then the other players are going to get tired by the end of the game certainly compared with the opposition and so that's what we're happening is like clearly the coach doesn't think that the chinese players are at, at the equal level of the the, the import players, the, the heritage players, the North Americans, effectively. That's his call, and, and he knows them better than anyone. But there's consequences to that. But I think also if you're watching as, as a Chinese fan of sports or a hockey fan, and you're thinking, like, you know, why aren't our players, our homegrown players, getting a, getting a chance? Like, the other guys are losing 8 nothing. Uh, at least throw throw our kids on and, and give them an opportunity. And I think that some it, it can create a little bit of a backlash. Like, and we saw that with some videos that I noticed online going around, highlighting the fact that that all the, the all these naturalized players, you want China to embrace the whole team and not to sort of divide, you know, this group and that group. And and I don't think the coach was was sort of conducive to that. Maybe it would have been ten nothing. Maybe it would have been worse if the Chinese players played more. But you know, that was that was one factor. It was. A much more competitive game against Germany. What, what did you see in that game? Well, there was some real fight. I mean, there were 3 nothing down, and we thought, here we go again. Now, Germany, uh, again, people look at that group if they don't know hockey and think, well, U.S. and Canada are far and away the best. But Germany, when the NHL players didn't play four years ago, Germany won the silver medal. So they got some great players in there. Um, and so I thought, uh, you know, to come back and score two goals, it was 3-2 in the end, to make it a competitive game. The German players knew they were in a game, mm. for sure. And these are the first Olympic goals that China has ever scored. Someone made the point to me that, um, you know, it, it may be the last, <laughs> the last Olympic <laughs> goals they scored for a while because, got to be honest, Canada's going to be a tough game. And I can't see China right now qualifying by right four years from now. I mean, that's that's... You know, there's a long way, obviously, long, long time to go. But but where hockey is right now, um, you know, they were in because because they lobbied for a birth as the host nation. But yeah, they 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 gave a good account of themselves. It was too bad that I, that that game wasn't first because I think it probably would have given the team a bit more confidence. Yeah, that's true. That's a great point. Actually, it's it's just it's just too bad that it was one of the strongest teams in the tournament that they had to play first. If they can score a goal against Canada, yeah. I think at this point that that would be that would be a good way to finish. And so that game against Canada is today, Sunday. So by the time people hear this, they'll, they'll, we'll have a result there. On the women's side, a really strange moment after the Chinese woman played Japan last week. Um, at a press conference, their goalie, Kimberly Newell, Kim Newell, who was born in Canada and lives in Vancouver, was asked if she could answer a few questions in English. And now, according to Reuters... An aide next to Newell interrupted and said, she's not allowed to speak 
English. I'll yeah. try to translate for her. And then you will answer questions in Mandarin with the aid translating, but seemingly asking Newell for help in the translation. So Mark, I have to ask you, not for the first time and probably not the last time, what the hell? <laughs> I mean, it was a ridiculous, it was a ridiculous situation. I mean, she's allowed to be uh, bilingual and she is. She's a great story. She's, she's, uh, she's been to Princeton, super smart girl. Uh, she learned Chinese so that she could communicate with her Chinese grandmother. She had there's a really nice story about her, uh, you know, uh, going back to her, her grandmother's roots in, in Shenzhen, a village near there. But of course, a week before the tournament, uh, China decided that all the uh, import players would suddenly be given Chinese names. And so she was asked about her uh, her Chinese name, Zhou Jiaying, was like, how did you choose that one? And so basically the translator was 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 trying to give um, the translation of her answer about what it meant. <laughs> and then Kim at one point says, no, auspicious, auspicious. So, so they kind of had to like change the translation. But kind of ridiculous. You know, why can't she be, why can't she speak, you know, two languages? Eileen Gu, for example, wasn't asked to only answer in Chinese. That would have been a much bigger story. Mm-hmm. It was just one of those stupid things where someone said, said you got to speak in Chinese because they can. Of course, the 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 heritage players in a, the, who aren't able to speak Chinese were still able to give interviews. We saw Jeremy Smith, who can't speak Chinese on the men's side, you know, speaking in English. So that wasn't a problem. Um, so <laughs> it was just kind of ridiculous, but um, just kind of funny that she could have done, she was doing a better job than the translator. From the ridiculous to the sad, uh, sad news coming out from a friend of the program, Rachel Lanis, who wrote a, a really heartfelt post on Instagram about the loss of her father. Yeah, unfortunately, he passed away January 30th, just before the tournament. She scored the winner in the, uh, well, she scored the go-ahead goal uh, in the first in China's first win against Denmark. She had a super strong tournament. She is not only uh, uh, one of the best players, she's the strength and conditioning coach. I'm just going to read uh, a few sentences She said, after college, I'd given up on the chance to represent my country and just started working towards new goals. But my dad never gave up on her Olympic dream. He believed in the law of attraction and he believed in me so strongly. He always said, you'll go to the Olympics. Just be patient. You'll get your chance. And turns out he was right, you know, and and it's just it's just really touching. You know, she she said, I lost my dad on January 30th. He never saw me play at the Olympics, but I know uh, he was with me um, living his dream during the Games, too. So just a shout out to Rachel there. Well, we had her on the show a few weeks ago. And uh, um, if people haven't listened to that, she was great. I mean, she she is so good on like just keeping the body at top top shape. And, and I think we saw that through the games. The, the, the team was certainly uh, very well conditioned. Speaking of previous guests, Hyg, we yes. do actually have a slightly more um, um, uplifting moment to celebrate. We now have our full set of Olympic medals Amazing. on the China Sports Insider podcast. Amazing. Because, Gold, silver, yeah, and bronze. Correct, yes. because uh, Shuli Jia, um, the sailing champion from London 2012, she's our gold medal. And then Alexander Amot Kilda, the Norwegian skier who is dating Michaela Schifrin. Uh, has now secured both a silver and a bronze at these Olympic Games. He's so. dating Michaela Schifrin. <laughs> anyway, uh, please, if you haven't listened to those, they're both they were both super interesting uh, interviews. Uh, Shuli Jia and and uh, Mr. Kilda. Yeah, that was awesome, and it's been really fun watching Kilda ski. Before we get to our interview with Liam Mather inside the bubble, let's talk skeleton. You you briefly touched on this in our last episode. Mark, but since then there's been a major development with Yan Wengang winning bronze in the men's skeleton race. Home ice advantage? Absolutely home ice advantage, home track advantage, yes. So 
I mean, this was basically one of the all the sliding sports, but particularly skeleton. This was the area that that I was sort of looking at to see could China make some real breakthroughs. I thought, if I was being honest, it was probably going to be too soon at these Olympics. But we talked about just the number of of times that they had been sliding down, and what China had done basically that they've when they put it in place a system and and you know follow it through it translates into medals. Yeah. Like it's as simple as that. So they got some of the best sliding coaches in the world. They got an Austrian uh, called Andy Schmidt, who'd been with uh, a uh, former skeleton racer himself. He's won world championship medals. Then was with a British skeleton uh, for 17 years, credited with uh, some great performances from, from the British skeleton team. And then recruited by China three years ago. And he has overseen uh, this thing. So uh, there's also starting coaches. So they have a couple of guys, a strength and conditioning uh, guy and also a sprint expert. Uh, both foreigners have been working on this. The start is so important. And uh, Yin Zhang, who, who finished fifth in the end, he didn't get a medal. He twice broke the start uh, track record. So basically, you know, it's roughly five seconds. The women are a little bit over five seconds. Uh, the men are sort of maybe 4.7, 4.8 to, to get past the first marker. He went, he broke 4.6. He went 4.58 or nine, I think, on his fourth run. Absolutely flying. And all these guys are converted sprinters. Well, not all of them, but a lot of them are. So like, it's it was pretty impressive. But, you know, it wasn't by accident. They had a wind tunnel uh, training. They had like... Um, uh, suits which were especially designed by Anta. They had some carbon uh, technology in their shoes. Like they left nothing to chance. Uh, got the best experts in and then just practiced on the home track and, and they knew what they were doing. And now we see the results and that's it's really good. And one of the things that I was thinking about as well is that, you know, these sliding centers, they, they, they're rare. Yeah. They're, it's not like you just have a sliding center. Like it's not like every yeah. country has their own sliding center. Yeah. And now that China has their own, I can imagine in Olympics to come, there's that's going to, they're going to reap the benefits. Yeah. That. And it was good to see the coverage on, on CCTV. Like, you know, they're really explaining how, how, uh, how to, how the sport works. And, and you can definitely uh, see people getting inspired by, you know, kids wanting to take it up and perhaps convert that bronze into gold. One of the athletes, one of the two Chinese athletes, and there was a bit of controversy actually because they dropped one of the, what we thought was the leading Chinese skeleton racer, Gung Wenqiang, who'd won a World Cup race just a couple of months ago. It's a crazy decision on paper, but clearly from the wind uh, tunnel testing and all the data that they'd accrued, they knew that the other two athletes, Yin and Yan, uh, were, 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 would, would performing better. So it turns out that they were right. But one of the two athletes said afterwards, they said they knew, they, they kind of had a feeling it was going to go well because heats three and four in the final were at night. And they said none of the athletes uh, from the other countries had ever raced on the track at night before. That's and amazing. He, yeah, and he was like, different temperature, the track runs very differently. And of course, they'd be, I mean, for sure, China would have been practicing at night knowing that runs three and four would be at nighttime. And and this is a point that I think we should really emphasize. These Chinese athletes have had hundreds of runs on this track. Yeah. All the other athletes, 30, 40, maybe? That makes a real difference. Yeah, it, it was estimated maybe 10 to 13 times the number of runs the Chinese athletes have had. Now, let, let me be clear. This is... This is uh, China's advantage this time, but at previous Olympic Games, the uh, the host nation, I believe, has won a skeleton gold every single time. So it's usual that you get home track uh, advantage, but just, uh, I think, doubly impressive because China is so new to the sport. Well, you know, one other thing I wanted to note from that event was that a Ukrainian athlete, Vladislav 
Horaskovich pulled out a homemade sign that read, no war in Ukraine. Uh, That's, of course, in reaction to what's happening on the Russia-Ukraine border right now. The IOC says that since this is a call for general peace, it doesn't violate Rule 50, prohibiting political protest at, at venues at the Olympics. But it's definitely something to keep an eye on, especially if conflict does break out in the real world. Yeah, with Thomas Bach uh, in in his his opening ceremony speech, I think giving peace a chance there, it would have been a little bit <laughs> a little bit strange to to punish him. But he didn't call out Russia; he That's just right. said no war. So I think that that sort of gave both sides a chance to say, okay, let's move on, no penalties. With that, let's move on to our interview with Liam Mather. Liam is in the bubble right now, uh, doing some work on the ice hockey side of things. The Guardian newspaper highlighted his incredible story, and you're about to hear why. Liam, great to have you on the show. Thanks, Mark. It's a pleasure to be on the program. Just for uh, to set the scene a little bit, uh, you and I were messaging, and uh, you know we, we'd spoken before the Olympics, and I know that you were sort of thinking, could, were you going to go into the bubble? What was going to be the exit? situation and all of that and you had the opportunity to work on the hockey production and your dad was flying in he's a hockey director uh based in canada and uh you know and it was pretty cool and then you you got in there and and you know we were messaging about how you stayed up you sent me this picture i think it was like 3 24 a.m one night right <laughs> and you were waiting up to see him the first time in in how long was it two and a half years two or something? A, two, two and a half years it was just super cool and I, we, were, we were recording the show and i was just chatting with with Hyg and just kind of mentioned this as as a story and I could see as I was saying it um to me I, I hadn't really thought anything more of it but Hyke was like well, he was almost speechless which honestly for this guy that, that, that's a that's a big thing so it, it was like he was like getting almost quite emotional and um one of the uh, there was a journalist from the Guardian um who who heard the show and he also reached out and was like that's such a great story and it kind of occurred to me it was like this is pretty amazing. Uh, the, the the reunion, you know, uh, at the Olympics. It's been so big right now that the Guardian story and the video that they shot with you was picked up by CCTV. So you were on CCTV four um, uh, just yesterday, I think, uh, Saturday Beijing time. So um, congrats, you're a big star <laughs> oh, now. Well, well, thank you. I don't know about that, but it's it's certainly been nice <laughs> to see the. Well, what actually was really touching uh, some of the videos that were on WeChat and, and Weibo, seeing some of the comments from Chinese people um, who expressed that they were quite touched by the story as well. That was that was really nice to see. I mean, just quickly, what's it been like to sort of be, work with your dad uh, at such close quarters? No, oh, it's been it's been amazing. As a kid, I would you know go to work with him and and be around sports broadcasts, um, but then once I guess I became a teenager, kind of stopped doing that. And then we go two and a half years without seeing each other because of the pandemic. And it's been a pretty difficult time. And I'm sure many people have been in the same boat being separated from loved ones because of travel restrictions or concerns about getting together and possibly spreading the virus within a family. So, you know, that's been difficult. So it's just been kind of super cathartic and, and wonderful to see each other. But not only just to see each other, but to be able to work every day side by side on Olympic hockey. We both love hockey, something we've always bonded over. And then to see him in action at his job is is, is also really cool. So it's just, it's just been so happy, such a happy experience. I, I don't think we'll ever forget it. What's the, the wider family reaction been for, from, for, for you guys? Of course, like there's you and your dad here, but, but what's the rest of the family been saying and, and, and talking about? Oh, I mean, they're super, super happy that we, we were able to see each other. Uh, we had a, we've had a couple of Zoom calls with 
with my mom and brother and with a wider family as well. And, you know, for two and a half years, the only, the only way I've been interacting with them is through Zoom and I'm by myself in the frame. And then now all of a sudden my dad's, my dad's in the frame next to me in Beijing. Any sort of jealousy that, that um, your oh. dad got to see you and, and that the, the others didn't? Uh, we haven't approached that subject. I, I hope not. No, I think, I think my mom's been super, she's been super supportive of it. Right. If you're listening, uh, when, when, if your mom's listening, when's she going to get to see you next? I'm saying the summer. I mean, after two and a half years of not going home, it has been a really long time. It seems like China's policies have sort of been cemented now. So I can go home with some confidence that I'll be able to get back yeah, yeah. Uh, and do a quarantine. But yeah, I think the summer, I'm really looking forward to reuniting with my entire family and with, uh, with friends. I was, watching, uh, I was watching the broadcast and um, then I was like, oh, there's a bit of a wide shot. I recognize that guy. There he is. There's Liam. So, so just take us through kind of, you know, what you're actually involved with day to day. Like, as I understand it, you're, you're kind of like a spotter sort of between the penalty boxes, but you're literally right between, you know, where the, the players are and the teams. This job that I'm doing, the only qualification really is to be familiar with hockey. What I do is I sit next to the game officials who, who work for the IHF and I'm sort of coordinating with them on when to take TV timeouts when the broadcast goes to commercial. So I've got the director producer on headset. There are rules about when we're supposed to go to break. So I'm making sure that those rules are being followed by the game officials and that they're actually signaling to the teams and the referees that we should be going to timeout. And then the second thing that I'm doing is keeping an eye on, especially things behind the play that the director and producer in the TV truck might not be paying close attention to. They might be tracking the puck. So, for example, if the... Like if there was an off-the-puck like off incident. Yeah, off-the-puck incident, or if one of the refs behind the play puts their arm up to indicate a penalty, uh, I'll call out a penalty coming up against whatever team. Sometimes I'm asked to keep an eye on specific players that the broadcast wants to highlight, so uh, I'll be told to like keep an eye out for number 10 on Canada. Sarah Fillier, she's on the bench. She's already scored two goals or whatever. Tell, tell us when she comes out on the ice. So there were rumors, Liam, that you, you know, you've been sort of like influencing the, the ref decisions <laughs> on the ice. You kind of like, with Canada, come on, ref, that's not a penalty. And, you know, occasionally they put the, put the whistles away. Anything to that? <laughs> just, just, just joking. Well, one funny thing is uh, after a goal, there's a 45-second break. So the game official has to signal a clock if there's 45 seconds counting down so the broadcast can go to uh, replay but canada has been piling on the goals in these games so after six goals <laughs> they don't they don't celebrate they don't go to the bench and give the props to the players on the bench uh, they get right back to center ice and set up for the face-off because you know they're kind of and humble. they have to wait for but then they have to seconds. wait for 45 seconds so i've got my, i've got my hand up <laughs> indicating like stop there's 30 seconds left on the clock and you know, Natalie Spooner. That's hilarious. You know, these other players are Canada are kind of giving me this dirty look. Like, what the fuck? Why can't we get the game going? Like, we're embarrassed here. We've just scored <laughs> our eighth goal. Um, so that's been kind of funny. Do you have a lot of downtime over there where you guys can just sort of sit around, catch up? Yeah, yeah. A lot of, uh, a, a fair bit of downtime. We're based at Wukasong Arena, which is the home base of the women's tournament. And most days there's been three games a day. But the games themselves are only about two hours, and then the rest of the day we're just sort of sort of hanging out, eating meals, grabbing coffee in the media lounge, uh, just walking around the area we're allowed to walk around in inside the rink. And you got up to uh, you got up to see some of the the snow events on a day off. Yeah, right? we did. Uh, we went up to the 
uh, Chongli and saw the, the women's snowboard cross uh, final. It was actually super fortunate we showed up at the venue not really knowing what we would be able to see. We hadn't checked the schedule before. It was a little bit of a spontaneous trip. We walk into the venue and literally within 10 minutes, we see the final run of the women's snowboard cross uh, and see, see Canada win a bronze. Liam, what was the attendance like up there? Like, uh, you know, it, it seems to me that there are spectators, but not a huge amount. Like, were you close enough to the Canadian athlete you could cheer and she'd be like, oh, hey, Canadians. I'm not sure if they noticed us, but yeah, it looked like there were a couple spectators in the venue there, but I actually didn't get a great look. We were sort of standing off to the side in the media area. In terms of how people are allowed to applaud and all that sort of stuff, like in the hockey venues as well, there were stories beforehand about like, you know, well, you can clap, but you can't shout. Like, but watching the broadcasts, um, particularly when China's been playing, there have been people cheering. Like, it, has there been anyone policing now or it's pretty normal? Doesn't seem to be. So definitely the crowd's making some noise, especially for the China games. But sometimes they picked up a, a favorite on uh, whatever and whatever the game is. So there's been uh, there's been cheering and also athletes from whatever country's playing are generally there and they right, have flags right. and they're cheering. So, yeah, I'd say the atmosphere in the, the building is 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 OK. It's better than I expected. I, I didn't expect there to be many spectators or them to be making any noise, but it's it's been better than expected. Yeah, we've yet to hit, I was checking, some of the men's games have been creeping up into the 900s in terms of attendance. We've yet to hit 1,000. Um, so it's pretty small, um, but, you know, there are people there. And like you said, it's been really nice to see, for example, the Chinese men's team uh, turned out to, to watch a couple of the Chinese women's games. Yep. It sounds like there's a lot going on in women's hockey outside of the top two of the U.S. and Canada, which is great to hear because it seems like every... Olympics, there is always this sort of debate about whether there should be women's hockey at the Olympics. Um, and it's and it's reared its ugly head again with uh, with a column in the Toronto Star. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about that? Oh, I think it's I think it's complete nonsense. I, I've had the privilege to watch almost every game in the women's tournament. And the skill level throughout the tournament is so high, is so high. I and mean, talking to people who've been around women's hockey for, for many Olympics, they say the skill level throughout the tournament has just continuously increased. Liam, I'm just going to, you know, perhaps present a counter view. We've only got 10 teams, right? So, so it's not like we've got like 50 teams and, and one versus 50 is a mismatch. The Canadians beat the Swiss 12-1 and the Canadians, wow, they are good. Like I was joking, but almost not joking. Like the, the Canadian women, I think would probably give the Chinese men like a, <laughs> maybe a pretty decent game, but they are playing the Swiss again in the quarterfinals. Like, is it not going to be another blowout? You know, nothing against the Swiss team. The Canadians are so, so good. But it's not going to be a close game. So I think it's possible that we'll see another blowout. But I think, and certainly I agree that it's top-heavy, but a couple, couple of counterpoints. The first is that the Czechs actually almost beat the U.S. in the quarterfinal. So that was a super close game. Well, the U.S. outshot the Czechs, but the Czech goalie had a fantastic game and kept the game close until the very end. You almost had the U.S. dethroned in the quarterfinal by a team that was debuting in the Olympics. The U.S. and Canada have the most established programs and the biggest pool of talent to draw on. But I think the way you get other countries to become more competitive is by giving women's hockey exposure in the Olympics. And you still have one other country that can win a, you know, a medal guaranteed outside of the U.S. and Canada. So Both good points. Pulling women's hockey from the Olympics just because it's top heavy, I think, would it wouldn't stop hockey from being played in Canada and the U.S., but you'd probably see a lot less investment in the game in other countries that have made significant improvements over the years. 
Yeah, that's I think I think that investment is the the point, right? I mean, it takes some time. And you know, if you look back even further, you know, I think from the from the beginning of the Winter Olympics, Canada won like the what, the first six or seven gold medals, and then the world caught up. And, you know, what's to say that that's not going to happen with the women's game? Yeah. It, it happened with soccer. You know, uh, 20, 25 years ago, the U.S. women were basically unbeatable and the world has caught up. So, And, and we see it w- with Olympic sports in particular here in China. If, if it's out of the Olympic calendar um, or program, then the funding drops. Uh, baseball is, is an obvious one that comes to mind. That's been in and out of the, of the program. So, yeah. Um, I, I I think that's a very good point. Speaking of the Chinese team, what have you made of China's performances, both uh, on the women's and the men's side, from what you've seen? I mean, you will you will have worked with you know from your the hockey community here in in Beijing is pretty small. You know, you'll have worked people uh, with people who are in and around the Chinese teams. So, from your kind of insider perspective, what have you made of uh, of their performances? To speak on the women's team first, they were super strong in, in Group B. It was, uh, like going in, a lot of people had ranked them as the worst team in the tournament, and I don't think that was the case. They didn't end up qualifying for the quarterfinals by just one point, but they were they were a really strong team. Um, up and down the lineup, super skilled players. They played well as a team, and that might be attributed to the fact that they've been playing together in the, the Russian Women's League for some time out. But I, I've, they beat Japan, they beat Denmark, and really strong team. I was really impressed with them, so... That was nice to see. And I noticed that after they picked up their first win against Denmark, hockey was one of the top trending items on Weibo. I think the Olympics might be successful in in spurring interest, well, in winter sports broadly, but also in, in hockey in particular, which is one of the goals of having these teams uh, compete. They got quite a lot of exposure on CCTV5. At least two of their games were on the main sports channel, uh, which the men's team has not had. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, it was partly because one of the games was before the opening ceremony, and so there, were, there weren't as many sports to show. But yeah, it, they were definitely getting a lot of uh, a lot of attention. But they performed. Right, right. They, I, it was you know they were super close to coming through. Uh, if uh, you know final results had gone their way, they they might have still uh, snuck through with the five points. But yeah, um, I think yeah. a decent showing. Um, but you know they've been in and around the mix. They qualified by right uh, in 2010 in Vancouver. Right, so. Right. It's a different story to the men's team. What have you What have you made of them in their two games so far? I haven't had a chance to see them in person, but just from watching the game against Germany, I thought they looked. I thought they looked great. They kept the game close until the very end. Uh, Germany won silver at the last Olympics, which also didn't feature the NHLers. So Germany is one one of the stronger teams in this tournament, I would say. And some people were saying before the tournament that China might struggle to score a goal with the makeup of their roster, and. They, they scored two goals against Germany and only lost 3-2. So I think that's a huge accomplishment for, for Chinese hockey. And I also noticed on Weibo that hockey was, hockey was trending and lots of people were following the game. Yeah, I saw a kind of bit of a swing in reactions, actually. After the first bit of a blowout loss, um, you know, 8 nothing against the U.S., and you look at the shots, like it wasn't... It wasn't unfair reflection of, of of the of the play, to be honest. There were quite a lot of people, and I saw there was one video going around. It basically had a screenshot of all the heritage and import players, effectively asking the question like, "Why are we having all these foreigners in there and they're still losing?" And then the reaction, and probably from different people, in fairness, but a lot of people were posting like very celebratory messages, even after a loss against. Germany was slightly odd in that respect, you know, like they lost, but it was the first ever Olympic goals, probably the, the, well, possibly the, the, the last Olympic goals they'll get for a long time. Yeah. And that's why I think it's such a shame that it wasn't on CCTV, the second game. 
It was on. It was on five plus. It was so, on five plus. Yeah, okay, but okay. but a fraction of people um, um, right. have that compared with compared with the, the main CCTV five. Okay. I'm quite happy that my prediction came true, which was that they would score some goals. Yeah. <laughs> I thought they would probably likely lose all their games. Canada's going to be a tough game. Their uh, their third and final group game. So just to kind of wrap things up. Um, so what's left for you? You have another week or so of of hockey action. Yeah, another week or so of hockey action at Wukasong. Uh, we've got the uh, the semis and the gold medal games in the women's tournament. And then my dad will fly back to Canada and I'll go into quarantine here in, in Beijing and then re-enter uh, Beijing public life. All right, cool. Thanks, Liam. We'll let you go. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much, guys. I really appreciate it. That's the show this week. Thank you for listening. We will be back later this week. See you soon.